Welcome back to the Grace Life Fellowship Podcast. This past Sunday here at Grace Life, Pastor Frank concluded his Thanksgiving series called Being Thankful. This week's message was called An Attitude of Thanksgiving, and we're going to share that with you now. We hope you enjoy it. some fun. Why did the farmer run a steamroller over his potato field? Well, oh, you're good, mashed potato. Why did the turkey cross the road? He wanted people to think he was a chicken. What's, what ring does the turkey's phone have? Wing, wing, wing. What's the turkey's favorite dessert? Who said that? Peach gobbler. Good for you. Why did the cranberries turn red? They saw the turkey dressing. <laughs> what did the turkey say to his computer? Gobble, gobble, gobble. Google, Google. <sighs> what do you call the turkey on the day after Thanksgiving? Lucky. Can a turkey jump higher than the Empire State Building? Of course he can. Empire State Building doesn't jump. If your grandmother saw you making boxed mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving Day, she would turn over in her gravy. <laughs> potato and sweet potato playing on the playground. Sweet potato tells the potato, I just found out I'm related to you. Potato said, no, you're not. Sweet potato said, Yes, I am. That was bad even by my standards. My family has asked me to stop telling Thanksgiving jokes. I tell them I can't quit cold turkey. I always want to say the prayer before the meal at Thanksgiving at my house because I do it gracefully. Oh, that was bad too. But you're thankful, right? All right. Well, with the Thanksgiving season upon us, we decided to do a series on being thankful, being thankful. And we've been doing so with a specific methodology, addressing not only what God has delivered us to in Jesus Christ, but also focusing on what he has delivered us from being in Adam. And we noted over the weeks that the church it's very easy for us to focus on what we've been delivered to. I mean, after all, in the Bible, it's called good news. And we all want to hear good news. We don't want to hear bad news, right? So we can very easily become New Testament junkies. Abundant life, abundance of grace, fullness of joy, peace that surpasses understanding. Yes, 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 yes. Now, when we do that, we're going to be a thankful people. Right? But think with me. What if we not only focused on what we were delivered to, but what we were delivered from? That, my friends, will magnify our thanksgiving. Multiply it. We, we will have thanksgiving to the second power. 
If I could give a, a very weak illustration, if I was $100,000 in debt and Don Driscoll gave me $100,000, which you know he'd really love to do, that would be really good. But what if I was $100,000 in debt and he paid the $100,000 in debt and then still gave me another $100,000? I'd be singing in Don's praises. <laughs> and I'm dreaming. All right, get it behind me. That's what we want to do. We want to be a people of praise. We want to be a people of, of gratefulness to God because God has done great things. So we're going to, we've been doing that the last two weeks. I want to do it one more time. And I know this is repetitive. It may sound a bit redundant, but it's biblical. Did you know that in Peter's epistle, he said, even though you know these things, I'm going to tell you anyway. This is part of the idea of renewing our mind. We continue to put the truth before us again and again and again until it's not only in our mind, but it's at the front of our mind. Because what really influences life is what's in the front of our mind, not what we have to pull from way back. Does that make sense? So this third time, I want to once again point out that we've been delivered from some really nasty stuff. There are so many dire consequences for man's fall into sin and death, my friends, that we could spend a very, very, very long time addressing all those dire circumstances and consequences. In my heart of hearts, as I have bathed over the book of Genesis for many, many years, I don't believe there's a man or woman alive on this planet who really understands how blitzed we were as humanity by what Adam chose to do in the Garden of Eden. I had one professor in seminary. He was a very special man. And he was used of God in my life to impress this idea into my mind and heart of the reality of that devastation that occurred in Genesis. In class one day, he gave us a scenario and he said something like this. How many of you have heard a story like the one I'm, I'm about to give you? He said, let's say you've got a couple living in Missouri. They have a daughter who has gone to college in California. At 2 a.m. in Missouri, Mama jumps up in sheer terror and she shakes her husband and says, something's happened to Susie. And she picks up the phone and she calls Susie and Susie's okay. But sure enough, Susie was just in an automobile accident. Have you ever heard stories like that, guys? And we all affirm that, yes, we had heard them. And then he said his commentary. And this is what stuck with me all these years. He says, I believe personally that by the design of God, we were to be in such harmony with God, so in touch with his creation, and in such intimacy with each other, 
that that kind of experience was intended by God to be normality for humanity. We were just to be so aware. And then with tears in his eyes, this is what he said. I look at the world and I look at the people in the world and I see such sorrow and hurt and loss and loneliness and emptiness. And it is so very sad how much as humanity we lost in Adam. We've been studying and I've been pointing out to you three of those devastating consequential losses, just three. I wanna bring them to your mind again. We said, first of all, that we lost life. God is the source of life. And if you end up separated from God, you're separated from life. And if you're separated from life, when you were designed for life, you're going to be on a quest to find life. If I could tweak that old song a little bit, sadly for most of humanity, we're looking for life in all the wrong places and looking for life in too many faces. Secondly, we we lost the economy of receiving that God had designed for us. We were created to have open arms with God where he could be all that he is to whatever we need. But when Adam sinned, he, he pulled us out of that economy and he plunged us into an economy of achieving and acquiring and performing so we could gain and possess. And maybe the worst one of all We lost our true identity. We lost that we were children. You know, Jesus wanted us desperately to understand that in the Gospels. What did he say? If you don't become a child, you'll miss the kingdom. You know what's fascinating to me? He didn't say that to the crowds. Those are words he spoke to the 12 disciples. Isn't that fascinating? They were already in the kingdom by faith. They're going to heaven. But during their sojourn on this planet, they will miss the kingdom if they don't become little kids. We're designed to be little kids before our God. But we bought the lie that we'll be as God. And and we show up on this planet living in that lie thinking that we have to be strong, thinking that we have to be right, thinking that we've got to be responsible and and in control. And, And that's really a recipe for disaster, especially in marriage, because you've got one God here and one God there, and they're coming together to be who's gonna be God. And magnify that by the community of humanity, it's a recipe for disaster. That's bad news. Trying to function as God when you're not God, to find life when you're looking in the wrong place and doing it by acquiring it instead of receiving it. That will wear you out. 
That's why Jesus said, are you tired? Are you weary? Is it working for you? The intended answer is no, it's not. Then come to me. You see, trying to to do all that apart from God is like being on a treadmill that gets higher and higher and faster and faster. And you know what happens when you're on a treadmill that gets higher and higher and faster and faster is then you fall. And you don't want anybody to know you fall, so you hide. And so we have a community of failures who come together who will never admit their failures because then they're liable to be judged and shamed. Welcome to intimacy on planet Earth. We had a men's retreat years ago. And we're at this facility and we had one of those torrential rainstorms hit us in the middle of that retreat. And I was late for a meeting. Can you imagine I'd be late? (laughs) And so I looked outside, opened the door. Everybody's already assembled over in the meeting hall and the rain is just whoosh, kind of like when the flood happened. And there was probably standing water like that. And I'm trying to run down the sidewalk to get into the meeting. You can't see the sidewalk. And so sure enough, I step where there is no sidewalk and I Superman and I hit the ground, and because it's all wet, I go like a slip and slide. Now, what's the first thing I did? Got up and looked around, see if anybody saw. And there was only one person there who was also late, John Odenwald. And John had his back to me. So I went, oh, I'm safe. So I ran back into my room, and quickly changed clothes and cleaned up and got back to the meeting as quick as I could. We had the meeting, it was wonderful, great fellowship, love, lots of stuff afterwards. Go to bed, wake up in the morning, I'm over eating breakfast and John Oldenwall walks up to me like this and he gets over my ear and he goes, I saw. That's what makes the new covenant so wonderful. God saw too. And he didn't leave us where we were. And he brought the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes, to see the lie for what it was, so we could refute it. I'm not God. It would be really good for me to stop trying to function like God. And quit trying to be strong and in control and right all the time. And I got to get released from the economy of performing and instead enter an economy of allowing God to be God to me. Wonderful. And in doing that, he restored me to life. And finally, just like Jesus promised, he rested us. He contented us. Wonderful. Go back to those lies. I am as God. I must perform. And I must secure life. And I'm looking for life in all the wrong places. 
So one of the places I tend to look is to people. They'll be my source of life. And so I control and function as God to manipulate the environment, to get my needs met independent of God. And I end up using and abusing people in the process. And we live not so pretty lives in the economy of Adam. But in Christ, we saw last week, I no longer believe I'm God. Don't have to be strong, don't have to be right. I'm free to be weak. Choosing to live in an economy of receiving once again where God will be God. And all that he is, he'll be to me. And he'll actually place himself in me. You know, one of, the, one of the most glorious passages in the Bible that we've got to put, like we said earlier, right here at the forefront of our mind. This room. Look around. Do you know who you are? You are the partakers of the divine nature. First Corinthians chapter 6. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. In this glorious new covenant economy, we no longer live these self-centered, manipulative, controlling lives. We have the same heart that God has. It's a beautiful heart. It's a heart that, that looks to others not to get from them, but to give to them. It's a life, you remember, that Jesus said doesn't come to be served, but to serve. And because we now have beautiful hearts, we can live beautiful lives. As we look not on our own needs, Philippians said, but on the needs of others. Having an attitude, the same attitude that Jesus had, that says to other people, let me lay down my life for you. But at the same time, you're coming to me and saying, no, 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 let me lay down my life for you. But I want to lay down my life for you, but I want to lay down my life for you. Do you realize if we just even partially began to live this out, what the church of God could have as an impact in the world that is so full of self-absorption? Huge. So today I want to bring this to a close. And I want to once again look what we've been delivered from so it will magnify what we've been delivered to. Got delivered from the lie that we would be as God in an economy of achieving to find life. I want you to think about that one more time. If I am as God and I'm the center of the universe, then life revolves around me. And my pursuit of life is to achieve and acquire for me, by me. And I think, my friends, if you listen for it, you can hear it. He's a self-made man. That's what we say in our culture. Some people go beyond saying it and sing it. Remember Frank Sinatra? What did he say? I did it my way. In fact, I got the lyrics because I wanted you to really hear these. You know, the title of the song is actually My Way. 
Listen to the second stanza. Regrets, does that connect with you at all? Anybody have regrets? I've had a few, uh, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the way, and more, so much more, I did it my way. For what is man? What has he got? Listen to this. If not himself, then he has not. Wow. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. It's all about me, baby. The record shows I took the blows and I did it my way. Sounds a lot different when you read it as when it's sung. It's the epitome of arrogance, my friends, and it fosters a spirit of thanklessness. Remember the passage from last week? People from the English Standard Version? People are lovers of themselves and lovers of money and boastful and arrogant, and here it comes, ungrateful. That is the norm in the economy of Adam because it's all about us and it's all on us. So why do I have to thank someone else? I either got what I earned or if somebody gave it to me, you know, I really deserved it anyway. Life in Adam is a very, very ungrateful life. Say, how did this happen? All you gotta do is go to the book of Romans chapter one. Because men suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I want you to listen to the next verse, verse 19. It tells us that every man, woman on the face of this planet knows there is a God. Because God put that knowledge in them. Do you realize what that means? There is no such thing as an atheist or an agnostic. They're only liars. There are people who suppress that truth because if there is a God, they're accountable to him and should be in devotion to him and thankful to him. And they don't want to do that. They want to do it their way. That knowledge is not only on the inside, my friends, it's on the outside. Verse 20 of Romans 1 says, the invisible things of God are seen through that which has been made. And so every man has an internal voice that's saying there is a God. And everything we see is screaming at us, there is a God. So verse 21 says, although they knew God, they did not honor God. They did not recognize God. They did not thank God. And God says what happened then is they became futile in their thinking. And verse 25 says that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And listen to the lie. They worshiped and served the creature 
rather than the creator. Now, I've heard a lot of people teach Romans 1, and they teach that that's talking about idolatry, where cultures throughout the history of man made graven images of God as a dog like in Egypt, or as a cow, or as a goat. That qualifies, to be sure, but I don't think that's what Paul was really talking about. They exchanged the worship of the creator for the creature. I think it's really talking about that we try to find others to be our God and ultimately and supremely where we will function as God by ourselves. I think that's what it's really talking about. And the reality, the end result of that, look at the next verse, keep reading in Romans. Man is now filled, key word, filled with all, big word, all unrighteousness. And the Holy Spirit goes on to say, full of greed, envy, arrogance, and boastful, thankful to himself. Thankful for himself. Psalm 10, 4, listen to this. Not only does man not seek God, God is in none of his thoughts. He occupies that place of the throne. Psalm 107 says, oh, that man would thank God. What's the implication of that? They don't. I think one of the most poignant passages in the New Testament is Luke 17. And this is not a parable. This is true story. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and 10 lepers are found in his path. And they cried out. Now stop right there. What's our motto here at Grace Life? Don't ever read the Bible casually. Imagine it. Put yourself in the shoes of those people. When you had leprosy, you were viewed as unclean. If you came walking down the path and the community was walking down the same path, unclean, unclean, and they would spit on you. Can you imagine the shame, the guilt, and, and, and supremely, the loneliness? We were, we were made for community. And these are people that had to live in isolation. Loneliness. I said, yeah, they cried out. Have mercy on us. And Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priest. That's all he said. And the 10 of them instantly started heading towards the priest. That's called faith. And as they walked... All 10 were healed, made whole. And then verse 15 says, and one. Did you hear that? One out of the 10 came back and thanked Jesus. My friends, that's the norm for fallen humanity. Unthankfulness. 
ungratefulness. You know, since that's the norm, I decided in my study this week, I better do a little Greek. Look into the language. And so I looked at the word unthankful and I was blown away. The Greek word is akaristos. If you've been at Grace Life for any length of time, you'll recognize that word charis. It's the word for grace. And ah is a negative prefix. So it's no grace. In other words, they are not thankful because they don't receive grace. They don't know grace. There's no one to thank but themselves. This is the world we lived in. This is who we all were. But God, aren't those the greatest words ever? (laughs) But God. Matthew 5 says he rains down goodness on the just and the unjust. I'm going to be good to you even if you're not good. I love that kind of God, don't you? I like what Timothy says. I'm going to be faithful even when you're faithless. I love that verse. You know, people get accused the grace community of being easy believism, cheap grace. You're talking out of your feet. You're not using your mind. Do you know how hard it is for a human being to say no to his own resources and trust a God he cannot see when he is in dire circumstance? There's no such thing as easy believism or cheap grace. It's a a courageous, tenacious act of faith. I found a verse, and I, I, do you have one of those Bibles where you see verses you never saw before? I, and I'm trying to find this word, unthankfulness. And in Luke 6, there it was. Listen to this. God is kind to the unthankful. Did that blow your mind? I'm not as thankful as I need to be. And when I read that verse, it makes me want to be even more thankful. (laughs) Because the kindness of God extended to me is not based on how thankful I am back to him. Isn't that crazy? And yet in response, he's just going to be kind to me all the more. Which means I ought to start being thankful. Romans 2 says the goodness of God leads men to repentance. It's this goodness of God that he pours out and pours out and pours out that leads to our change of thinking so that we can think correctly, so that we can recognize him. Psalm 92.1, it says, it's good to give thanks to the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit led me to a, a, a really radical event in the Old Testament that I never would have thought about. The account of Moses. Do do you remember when when Moses said to God, show me your glory? Remember that? 
And what did God tell him? Well, the, the frank vernacular, son, if I do that, you're going to be a divine road kill in the path of my glory and you'll be blown to bits. <laughs> so tell your son what I'm going to do. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by and you're going to get to see just a little glimpse. Remember? But I read the passage a little closer. And I never saw this before. What's our context? What does Moses want to see? The glory of God. All right, let your mind go blank. That shouldn't be hard. It's easy for me anyway. Ready? The glory of God. Now what pops in your mind? Light, radiance, awe, burning fire. Presence of God shows up, people are on their nose. That's not what it says. I want to see your glory. That's okay. Let me hide you. Here it comes. Listen to the language. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. It's not what I expected to read. The glory of God is his goodness. That's why Paul asked that question to the Corinthians. What, what do you have that you didn't receive? It's a rhetorical question. What's the answer? Nothing. Then why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? First Corinthians, earlier in the book, he says, if you're going to have any boast, you better boast in the Lord. The very breath you just took, the very beat of your heart that just occurred, the bride that's at your side, the job that you have, the home that you have, the children, you received it all. I think that's why 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything, give thanks. There should never be a time in our lives where we wouldn't find something for which to thank God. And the key word there, he says, is in everything. Let me change the preposition. He didn't say for everything. See, there's a lot of things that are going to happen in our lives in a fallen world that it would be stupidity. Oh, thank you, God, for that garbage that just came into my life. It's not what he says. It says we thank God in those things. Why? Because he is in those things. Those did not happen apart from his knowledge. Those things did not happen apart from his purpose. To use whatever the enemy and the world in its fallen state and very sometimes wicked people, and he will use that to bring us to greater glory in Christ. Remember Jeremiah 29? Israelites in, in deportation and some false teachers come around. God doesn't love us anymore. God's going to find another people to work through. He don't care about me. 
What did God say? Who are those prophets? I don't know them. They don't speak for me. Let me speak for me. I have a plan for you. And right now it may not look good, but it is good. And I'm working to bring you to an appointed end. Glory. Remember Lamentations 3? The Babylonians marched in, destroyed Jerusalem. The fires are still burning. There's people dead in the streets. And Jeremiah sitting in the rubble. And he sees horizontally. And what does he say? God's against us. He's like a, a bear lying in ambush. He, he's got a, a quiver and his bow is aimed right at my heart. I have no joy. I have no peace. And what does he say? And this I remembered. And I remembered twice. Great is his mercy. It is only by his mercy that we're not totally consumed. And this is not the end of the story. For great is his faithfulness. And every morning there will be new mercy. And I'm going to start looking for the mercy. See, that's the key. You look for garbage, you're going to find garbage. You look for life, you look for hope, you look for peace, you look for God, you'll find God. That's what he's promised. When you seek me, you will find me. And you will find God in the midst of the valley, and he will walk with you through the valley back into the light of day. That's what he promises. And when he does that, you and I are going to have an attitude of gratitude. We're going to be a people of great thanksgiving. I think of Acts 17. We live and move and have our very existence in him. And when we recognize that, life will no longer be all about us. It'll be all about God. And the great glory of that is when, when we realize that life is all about God, we also realize that God is all about us. We're getting there the proper way instead of the improper way. God is all about us. But he's the one on the throne, baby, not us. In him, we're able to refute the lie that we are as God. We're able to refuse forever the economy of achieving and enter into receiving all that God is to all that we need. And then we find life, life that overcomes the death, and we become a people of praise. Psalm 92 says it is good. I'd translate that differently myself. It is right to give thanks to God. I want to leave you with a story that I found in my reading. This is true story. According to this person, her name is Denise 
Banderman. And she wrote these words. I want to share with you what took place in a classroom at Hannibal Lagrange College in Missouri back in 2002. It was the day for final exams. <laughs> Anybody ever been there? Denise walked into the classroom minutes before the professor arrived. Everybody in the room was doing last minute cramming. The professor entered and took a few minutes to review. Some of it was familiar. Quite a bit of it was unfamiliar. And some of the students complained. This was not in your lecture notes. To which the professor said a word that sent cold chills up every student's spine. Ah, but it was in your textbook. And I told you on day one, you're responsible for everything that's in the textbook. Time came for the test. The professor gave the word and every student picked up their pencil and turned over their test paper. Denise's own words. I couldn't believe it. To my astonishment, every answer on the test was filled in already. My name was written at the top of the paper in red ink. A wordless stir began to wave over the class as each student beheld on their paper the same phenomenon. The bottom of the last page of the test was this note from the professor. All the answers on your test are correct. You will receive an A on the final exam. The reason you pass the test is because the creator of this test took it for you. All, that you were, all the work you did in preparation for this test, please understand, it did not help you get this A. When I read that, I thought, where was that professor when I went to school? <laughs> I mean, I don't know about that kid, those kids, but the kind of student I was, I'd have been singing some kind of praises. <laughs> My friends, how much more so for us? Who have failed at life and how thankful we should be because our creator took the test and passed it with his own life and then in grace gave us his grade Righteous, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Perfect, Colossians chapter 1. Accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1.6. Made adequate and capable, 
2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, when I looked up the word thankful, it's charizomai, from the Greek word charis, which is from the word grace. So ungrateful people, they're just manifesting they don't understand the grace of God. Grateful people are those who not only have received it, but experience it. And there's only one thing left for them to do. Enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. Wow, God, you did it. (laughs) Give him an applause. Get out of here. Thankful people. That does it for the Being Thankful series. We hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be taking this Friday off from Conversations in Grace for the Thanksgiving holiday. So we'll see you back here next week. 